0: The following program was made possible by the generosity of those who have determined to hold fast to the true Roman Catholic religion, as expounded by the Roman Catholic Church before the disasters of Vatican II and the so-called New Mass.
1: Hello, and welcome to What Catholics Believe. I'm your host, Thomas Nagley, and with me tonight is Father William Jenkins. He's from the Society of St. Pius V, and he's also the pastor of Immaculate Conception Church in Norwood, Ohio. Hello, Father. How are you?
0: Very fine, Tom. How are you doing?
1: Good, Father. Thanks for being here tonight.
0: Well, that's mutual. Thank you.
1: No problem. Father, before we get into some of the current events of the day, I would like to address a few emails that we've received. Our our email inbox is overflowing, as usual, and it's been some time since we've discussed any of these emails, so I'd like to uh, get through a couple of these if we can. This first one here comes from a viewer in Brazil, Who says, Father Jenkins, we are a state of a contest. We do not believe anything of Vatican II, but this bad council is already 60 years old. What are we waiting for to elect a true pope? Monsignor Attovani and Lefebvre died and did nothing. Father Jenkins, Dolan, Sanborn, Clarence Kelly will wait for death and will not do anything concrete to protect the Catholic Church, which without a pope is being lost day by day. Look at what happens to a society of St. Pius X that is losing faith and is already arm-in-arm arm with a Vatican II sect. The more time passes without a pope, the more one loses a true religion. You cannot expect more. It is not false in prudence, as you have given one day an hour of despair. It is of distress. The boat sinks. There is no need to have prudence. It is necessary to have action. Courage, courage. A <clears throat> response, Father.
0: Prudence is the first of the moral virtues. Justice, fortitude, Mm -hmm. courage, temperance, Mm -hmm. they're all subject to prudence. Without that, they simply go wild. And uh, there's no measure. You can sit against virtues by excess as well as defect. and a rashness, and a boldness. Well, St. Pius X said that that was one of the characteristics of the modernist audacity. Right? So I'm afraid this, uh, their soul, is uh, making a big mistake, and I'm afraid the individual doesn't really understand the Church. Um, one cannot simply um, go ahead and elect a pope for oneself, one has to have some kind of an authority that comes from Christ, right? -hmm. In the earliest days, the the clergy of Rome, the uh, bishops under Peter and his successors, and the priests and the deacons voted, they chose successors of Peter, right? And uh, the cardinals historically have been the, the clergy of Rome, right? They are assigned to parishes in Rome. And so, as the clergy of Rome, that, that, can, that is the continuity of their, their place in the church to elect a pope, right? The fact that the modernists have gotten in and subverted this and perverted this entire process, though, does not mean <clears throat> that anybody can just decide, well, let's elect our own pope. That's a mockery. We would be no better than the Novus Ordo. We would be no better than the Novus Ordo. I'm not just saying that, but actually he's saying that. Because if he's saying that Archbishop Lefebvre and Bishop Mendez and others did nothing, they did nothing. So the Mass, the traditional Mass, the sacraments, and ordaining true, valid Catholic priests and so on, that's nothing in his eyes to continue the faith, right? Right? The only thing that matters to him is elect a pope, right? Choose a pope. Nothing else counts. Well, if that doesn't count, then why bother electing a pope anyway? Right. Because the whole point is to continue those very things that he says don't matter, that all of these people have done. So it doesn't make sense. And I think he's misguided in, in his uh, fervor and ardor. Mm-hmm. Um, <clears throat> no matter how convinced I may be, that Francis is not a true vicar of Christ on earth. I know for a fact that I am not the Pope. I'm even more convinced that I'm not the Pope than I am that Francis isn't the Pope. Right? Right. I know I'm not the Pope, right? But I know I'm not a cardinal, and I know I I do not have any authority whatsoever to choose a successor of St. Peter. That has to come from God. Someone has to be commissioned through the Church, the true Church, to do that. And uh, there is no one among the traditional Catholics, uh, whether he be layman or priest or, or bishop, right, who has the authority to have a uh, to, to have a conclave and elect a pope. I mean, there are groups that have tried that. Right now in the world, there are probably maybe half a dozen, maybe a dozen who claim that there's they are popes elected in a, in a like, look, look at Pius Thirteenth, right, elected in a trailer in Montana by his mother and father, I mean. becoming Pope Michael I or something to that effect. It's, It's farce. And it makes a mockery of everything we stand for. This is totally contrary to everything traditional Catholics stand for, to just kind of take that law into our own hands. It's not up to us. We have to realize that. We have to accept this in all humility. We are not the ones who are going to save the Church. It is Christ's Church. And he is going to have to save it, because if he won't, no one will. He is the one who has to save it, and that's not the way to save it. So, uh, we have to let him take the lead in this. All we're going to do otherwise is make it it worse. Mm -hmm. And all he has to go is go back back to the 1300s. Go back to the 1300s, look up Urban VI, and see the history that developed after that election in 1378 1378 guess it was something in there, and, and see what led to the great Western schism. And if, if we followed that that very bad advice there, we'd be creating uh, like a hundred schisms, a thousand schisms within a year's time. It'd be, it would be absolute bedlam and a mockery of the Catholic faith. So uh, we have to be careful not to spin out of, out of control, we have to be faithful to Catholic tradition, that's why we're traditional Catholics. That's our only claim to be Catholic, is we are faithful to Catholic tradition, right? We have the faith, we have the worship, but the rule that we follow is the, the rule of Catholic tradition, and that places not only obligations, but also restraints on us. And we cannot act contrary to Catholic tradition. If we were to do that, we would be acting contrary to all Catholic tradition. We can never claim to be faithful to the tradition of the Catholic Church. We'd be as bad as the Novus Ordo.
1: And you know, Father, that's such an easy trap to fall into. You've mentioned this before, how there are so many uh, would-be traditional Catholics who uh, who say just because it's a time of crisis that anything goes. Yeah. And um, like you mentioned, that that would just be totally... Contrary to Catholic tradition and what it means to be a traditional Catholic, you know, to, right. mm-hmm. to do what the church has always done, to not do what the church has always forbidden, and also those follow the church's teaching and and uh, their tradition in times of crisis, and there's mm-hmm. absolutely no precedent for that. There's entirely, no precedent for it, entirely whatever. contrary. To in fact, whatever
0: anyone has has attempted that in the past, it is they've always been condemned by the church. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> um, their actions have been condemned by the church, and we can't. Sure. We can't follow the, the, the things that the Church has condemned. We have to follow what the Church has approved. only those things.
1: Sure. All right, next email then. Father, this viewer says, First, I want to say that I am gladdened that Father Jenkins believes that Novus Ordo Catholics are still Catholics. But then I am left wondering why I shouldn't continue receiving the Eucharist at the daily Novus Ordo Mass. Mass isn't receiving the Eucharist and hearing the Word vitally important. I can't do a six hour round trip on a daily basis. Also, a very dear relative of mine will be ordained soon. Do I not receive? I do find the whole situation very difficult. Father Jenkins, your words of truth and wisdom are greatly appreciated. Thank you and God
0: bless you. Well, God bless you too. Thank you. <clears throat> when you say that I, I recognize that Nova Zoro Catholics are Catholics, I have to be very careful about this there are many of them who still hold the Catholic faith. We see them. They find their way back to the traditional faith and out of the Novus Ordo. And in a case like that, we find very often that their faith has survived the Novus Ordo, sometimes years, decades in the Novus Ordo. It's a miracle, grace. But so they still have the Catholic faith, but they haven't been practicing the Catholic faith. They've been mistakenly practicing a false religion. And the false religion is the religion of modernism, it's the practice of modernism. That's what the Novus Ordo, that's what the New Order is. So those who are actually going to the, to the Novus Ordo parishes, the New Order parishes, uh, are actually practicing a religion that is contrary to, to what they actually believe, if they still have the Catholic faith. And that's why people find that there's a contradiction between what they believe and, between, and what they do, and what they see others do in the Novus Ordo. And finally, that contradiction... Uh, forbids them to simply ignore that and continue, simply to ignore that and continue. Bunny do, and so they have to abandon the faith in order to uh, practice, Get do away with the tension between what they believe and what they practice in the Novus Ordo. Something has to give. They either have to abandon their faith and embrace the Novus Ordo, or they have to hold to the faith and abandon the Novus Ordo and reject it. <clears throat> and that's what this lady should do. She should recognize that there is an intrinsic contradiction between what she believes, that she still has the traditional Catholic faith, and all of its doctrines, and all of them. And she should should recognize the Novus Ordo is not the practice of my faith. It's a practice of something alien. It's a a practice of something inimical to my faith, the Catholic faith. It's a practice of modernism. And she just has to recognize, I can't continue this contradiction between what I believe and what I'm doing in the Novus Ordo. And so she has to stop this. She has to stop going, I mean, you know, to have the word, well, she could go, like she could go to a Protestant church and hear more truth, uh, even as a confused mm. and as falsified as the scriptures are in the Protestant churches. She, she would actually accidentally almost hear more truth spoken by some of these Protestant ministers than she hears from the Novus Ordo clergy. We're trying to twist the gospels into the social gospel about, like Francis, global, you know, global climate change and immigration policies and all the rest. And um, you know, it's not—it's about having the truth. And The truth is the traditional Catholic faith, and the religion that is the practice of that is the traditional Catholic religion, and only that. Definitely not that of a if she has a relative who is being ordained in the novus ordo, she should first of all uh, realize that, you know, the very least we can say about the novus ordo ordination is that it is doubtful. It was the very first sacrament that the moderns changed in 1968. The first thing they they changed wholesale. And uh, she also has to realize that, um, you know, this is this novus ordo ordination is to you're being ordained to be a presbyter in the Novus Ordo church and practice the Novus Ordo religion. So if, if she if she doesn't see the contradictions between traditional Catholic faith and modernism, if she doesn't see the contradictions between the practice of the traditional Catholic religion and the Novus Ordo, then there's nothing I can explain to her. But if she sees those contradictions, she has to make a choice. One of them is from Christ and one of them is definitely not. And so, I mean, I hope when she makes that decision once and for all, she decides to be Catholic, true Catholic, traditional
1: Catholic. What about uh, not modernist? She says to her father, what, "What about receiving the Eucharist, though? Isn't it important to receive the Eucharist?"
0: Sure, that is the Eucharist. It's important not to receive a piece of bread. It's important to receive the Holy Eucharist. It's important to receive the Holy Eucharist in the context of the True Mass. Mm-hmm. It's important not to think that you're going up to a presbytery of a new religion. Uh, and to a false uh, new order mass, which is not really the sacrifice of Calvary at all, and to pretend that you're receiving the body of Christ. Not only that, if you believe that it is the body of Christ, and you see what they're doing it, doing to it, you're you're taking part in an enormous sacrilege. Because if that is the body of Christ that they're slinging around, that they're handing out to everybody, regardless, you know. Um, of letting particles of the host fall where everybody's walking and so on. I mean, this is the most enormous sacrifice in the history of mankind. Sacrilege? Sacrilege. It's the most... Thank you. It is the most horrible sacrilege Don't don't think. You know, within the human power of thought. I mean, the Church has certain canons which automatically excommunicate a person in the most specially... in the most special way reserved to the Holy See itself. This is the... The most severe form of excommunication, automatic excommunication of the church, and among those among those six things is deliberately defining the blessed sacrament, attacking the blessed sacrament. If one believes in the Novus Ordo that that is really the body of Christ that they're doing what they're doing there and the blood of Christ, one would have to say, well, this is this is the most horrendous sacrilege possible. This is mass. Uh, defilement of the Blessed Sacrament. Um, not only because of the mockery of the people who are living you know, in their second or third marriages, right? People who are living living with their boyfriends and girlfriends and cohabitating and so on, they just go up and put their hands out and receive a host right? But even the way it's handed out, with particles of the host all falling right where they're walking. You know, I mean, this is the most inconceivably horrible sacrilege possible. It's institutionalized in the new order. So, how can anybody even believe that it is the body of Christ? Have you anything to do with that
1: you know father just the uh just to, to kind of show the the stark contrast between the traditional and this uh new church just just recently uh hit me as I was serving mass after after Holy Communion, uh when the two servers at a low mass will will go up carrying the water and the wine you we see the priest there as he cleans off the uh, the patent from mm-hmm. Holy Communion. And uh, the the priest as I was serving mass, it just struck me how diligently he was cleaning off the pad And then even clean, spent some time cleaning it off. Mm. He went to set it down, inspected it again, mm. went back again to clean it off to make doubly sure that he had gotten every tiny last particle off of there. Mm. And you contrast that with you know like you're talking about anyone, everyone walks out, hands out the hose, well, throws it out like you know, like it's nothing. Putting people's hands. And, and it is it's just absolute night and day, and it's mm. just so incredible. It's more heaven and hell. It. It's like the contrast. Yeah, it right. is. It really is. Yeah. Uh, Okay, well, this next email, Father, this this is great. Um, This is from a viewer uh, who responded uh, to uh, some things that you talked about in one of your recent sermons. You know, you've been talking about uh, lately with all these scandals happening in the new church, this this idea of uh, those who say, this is the Catholic Church that is doing this, and the point you're making is this is not the Catholic Church. The Catholic Church is, in fact, the the principal victim. Mm -hmm. And so uh, this viewer says that... uh, Father, since I am the type that can easily be drawn into an argument, I find that in order for me to keep some semblance of state of grace, I must practice and repractice my phrases so as to not lead myself and others into sin. I must practice my, quote, let your yes be yes and your no be no. So they give a few examples here, Father, of their verbiage, they say, and they uh, say, feel free to hone my ammunition here. So the for the... Uh, for those who have the, uh, for those who say, you know, oh, the Catholic Church, uh, we could have seen this coming from the Catholic Church, these the scandals and all this, for, for someone who makes that argument, uh, the uh, some of the phrases that she says here, that she offers, are, uh, a response to that would be, oh, you mean the Vatican II Church? I do not belong to that church. I belong to the original, the true Catholic Church. Yeah. Another one, another... Uh, Accusation is those who talk about the priest and how, how uh, defiled and, and messed up the modernist Novus Ordo priests are when someone talks about Catholic priests in that way. She says a response to that could be, oh, you mean those modernists? Yes, yeah, so those who ascribe to the modernism mandated by Vatican II. And that mentally, that mentality sets out to destroy the true church and everything Jesus has done. I do not agree with any of their thinking. We are now seeing the fruits of their thinking. Mm-hmm. So what do you think about those? Responses? I think it's,
0: it's good. Mm-hmm. But she says, "I think makes a good point." Mm-hmm. I hope she's allowed to get the words out. Right? <laughs> she's definitely making the point that this is not the Catholic Church, right. and I certainly don't adhere to it. To mm-hmm. that, please. Yeah. The, the, we, we have to be insistent on that with everyone. This is not the Catholic Church, no matter what they say. No matter what the media says, no matter what the conservative, so, you know, Catholics say, no matter what the indult mass people say, the some publican some people say, no matter what the Vatican says, this is not the Catholic Church, this is modernism that has done these things. And they, they're the ones who have set out attacking the Church, and this is what they brought it to.
1: Mm-hmm. Definitely, They've been
0: attacking the Church ever since. And if, if, if somebody wants to, uh, you know, go back and look at that program, we did a conference, uh, a program called Modernism's Legacy of Perversion. Yes. <clears throat> let people go back and look at that if they haven't seen it. <clears throat> and let them, let them watch that. I think they'll understand where we're, where we're coming from, that modernism setting in with a vengeance in Vatican II and after the, of, uh, the aftermath of Vatican II immediately brought in these perversions. So somebody who's watching this happening now and who's totally, you know, caught flat has no idea. Well, where did this happen? Where did, where did this all come from? They have to trace it right back to the day after Vatican II. They have to trace it back to the time of Vatican II itself, when this has all started happening. And I'm talking about the perversions in the convents and the seminaries. It, it happened just like that because of the corrupt moral principles of the of the modernists. Mm-hmm. So, uh, you know, people have to stop acting so shocked by what's happening here. This has been going on and, and forming, and like the, this brood has been has been hatched, hatching in the Novus Ordo for decades now, ever since Vatican II. We're just living with the consequences of Vatican II now. If they can't trace this in their own minds back to Vatican II, they're making a serious mistake. And the mistake is going to be they're going to think it's a Catholic Church. Right. It is not the Catholic Church that's doing these things, it's the enemy, the arch enemies of Catholicism, and that's the modernists. Father, anyway, you... I recommend they go back and listen to that video if they haven't paid attention. If they still think that this is the Catholic Church, they need to go back and watch it again.
1: Definitely. Father, I actually heard that uh, one viewer said that's the best program that you've ever done.
0: Is that right? That's a history
1: of what Catholics believe. Interesting. So, yeah, it, yeah. It, um, definitely, yeah. I think that... that well, I uh,
0: wish people would get a hold of that and send it to, you know, forward it to all their friends. Definitely, and, yeah. And say, you, you know, i got to watch this.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Uh, I'm not saying it's the best thing out there, but at least it get, it should give them an idea of what's going on.
1: Yeah.
0: You know, all this talk, you know, they were saying, oh, it's not a pedophilia crisis, it's a homosexual crisis. <laughs> I say, no, no, no. no." Mm. It's a modernist crisis. From the very beginning, modernism has been the problem. That's the poison, that's the door through which all of these other evils have come. All of the others have piled in through modernism. Modernism is what opened that portal.
1: Exactly.
0: You know why people don't want to hear that? They don't want to hear it because they realize modernism. Well, gee, he's saying that the whole... New order is wrong. No, gee, we can't, we can't say that, can we? He's tracing this back to Vatican too. We can't say that, can we? So they say, no, we, we, can't, we can't admit that, we can't listen to it. But the fact is, until they're willing to face that, they cannot possibly understand what's happening, and they can do nothing to stop it. Exactly. You know, one of, the, one of their own exorcists recently... In the last few days, one of the one rather famous exorcists, actually, said that this is a satanic evil and it's only going to get worse. That's what he said. Right. It's only going to get worse. That doesn't bode well for them. But, you know, people are saying, oh, the modernists have been caught now. We've caught them. Now, now we see what they've been up to all this time, you know. If we can just get Francis to resign and maybe a half a dozen other cardinals, you know, we can make things Right say, you have no clue. you have no idea, you have no idea what this is all about here. Not only that, the people are wondering, why, why, didn't, why isn't Francis addressing that? People don't understand, this is not against the modernist plan. This was not some, oops, you know, we, went, we didn't want this to get out. This is entirely according to the modernist plan. They wanted this to happen. Why? That's why they're not, they're not really making these big denials about it. You know. That's why Francis Francis says I'm not going to say one word. Why would the modernists, why would Francis and his gang, this council of nine he's got, half of whom or more than half are, are themselves named by either either named by Vigano or already under suspicion and already be investigated for their role in the, the cover up of these sexual abuses? Why would these people who have hijacked the Catholic Church, or the institutions of the Church, and the name of the Catholic Church, why would they want this to happen? Tom, again, it all gets back to modernism. They want to restructure the Catholic Church. They want to reinvent the Church. They want to change the Church. And the only way they can get that, uh, get that accomplished is by changing the, the whole power structure within the Church. And they're going to do that in this way. They're going to get people saying, no, we can't accept this. Um, You know, even the claims for Francis to resign, although these people may be outraged and want him to resign, that's fine. But the fact is, they're changing the whole idea of the papacy. The Pope's just got to come and go, you know, sign on, sign out, you know. And um, they don't realize that they're playing right into the hands of the monarchists here. Even the, the conservative... Novus Ordo Catholics, trying to practice the traditional faith within the Novus Ordo. Insofar as they're all agreeing, in one one voice, this is the Catholic Church that has done these evil things. They're playing right into the hands of the modernists. And um, the fact is, you know, if you wanted to have the worst case scenario for a traditional Catholic, if you wanted to have the perfect case scenario for a modernist, this is exactly what you'd have. The whole church being degraded in the eyes of the people everywhere, throughout the whole world. And um, you'd have, you know, just the idea that the Francis and his crew have been trying to restructure the church. Right now, Francis is meeting with his gang of nine in Rome, in the Vatican, right now. September 10th, 11th, 12th. They've been meeting here to provide to present their plan for the new structure of the church, the authority within the church, to decentralize the church. This is the modernist church, okay? And uh, what could play better into their hands now than this, okay? If this whole sexual abuse crisis gets all of these civil governments involved, I mean gets the governor and his and his law enforcement people and it's, it's, uh, you know, a, a, a district attorney and you know, the attorney general of these various states, New York, New Jersey, uh, Illinois, Missouri, et cetera, et cetera, now, they're all getting into it now, all going to in, investigate the diocese of the Catholic Church in their <laughs> states, right? About all this terrible abuse and all this cover-up, okay? What could better serve the modernist plan than that? I mean, even going back to Vatican II in the last document, I've talked about this before, but people need to pay attention, that the the document on religious liberty of Vatican II brings in a right which is a blasphemy, you know, that, well, first of all, it it is, there's nothing wrong with this in Catholic teaching, that there is a civil right and a right from God that the individual has not to be compelled to act against his conscience, But Vatican II went beyond that. That last document of Vatican II actually brought up something that was not true, that the Church has never taught before. And even blasphemously said that it is a right that comes from God himself in heaven. And that is that no one can be restrained from acting according to his conscience. Now, a lot of people think, oh, that sounds pretty good, you know. Wait a minute. Hold the phone here. The church has never said that. It's a very big difference between being being constrained or coerced to act against your conscience, but not being restrained to act according to your conscience, no matter how wrong it is. This is the whole premise of being (laughs) pro-choice. The whole premise of being pro-choice is exactly that in the document of Vatican II on religious liberty, and that is you can't restrain somebody who thinks it's right. We have to let them do it. So we have to allow them that choice, if that's what they think is right. Kill babies. The fact that we see it as murder, you can do nothing about it. As long as they believe in their conscience it's okay, you can't stop them from aborting their babies. The whole pro-choice argument is, is embedded right there. The whole foundation of it is that writing that document of Vatican II. And to say that God gives a person a right that no one can restrain him from acting according to his conscience? Wait a minute. What if your religion says smoke peyote? What if your religion is uh, worship Satan? What if your religion is abort babies? What if your religion is worship the goddess Kali and go out and murder people as a highwayman? I mean, you know, Kali, the Hindu goddess with skulls around her neck and weapons in her arms. Well, I mean, they worship this. Then you know, they're a bunch of cutthroats. But this is their religion. You mean to say this can't be restrained? Oh, but wait a minute. Somebody will read Dignitatis Humanae Personae on the dignity of the human person on religious liberty of Vatican II, right? And they'll say, but look, time and time again, it says, provided that just public order be maintained. So there's only one restraint that the document lists here on the question of somebody acting according to his conscience, and that is the government. <laughs> the only power, according to that document, that has this authority, it's the only one that mentioned, is the maintenance of just public order. So the civil government alone can restrain someone from acting according to his conscience, as long as just public order is, is, is preserved. Okay, look at this, though. Go back to the document of, of uh, Pope Pius Tenth on, uh, on modernism, condemning the errors of the modernists. That's exactly what he says modernism says. Modernism says exactly what this document on religious liberty says. Because one is following his own religious sense. They even use the expression right out of right out of Vatican II. Exactly what Pope Pius Tenth says is the funda, foundation of modernism and the faith of modernism. The religious sense of the individual. Same expression, modernism. He says that the modernists believe that as long as you have your own personal experience of the divine, that's your faith and you express your faith. But when you express your faith, you're expressing it through words and actions. Suddenly you're expressing this in society and the civil government now has power to control that and to determine what you're allowed to say, and what you're allowed to do. He says that in 1907, this is the premise of the modernists. It's right here in Vatican II, in their document on religious liberty. And now you, you apply this here? I, I, you know, you can just see the modernist idea here <coughs> applied to this uh, abuse situation, the sexual abuse situation now. Uh, You know, you could just see a a prosecutor in Pennsylvania, in Illinois, in Missouri, wherever they happen to be, right, saying, look, your own document of Vatican II says, we have the right to come in and enforce public order here, and you see what your church has been doing here, and the crimes that they've been committing here and presiding over, you know, uh, we have the right, according to your own document, to come in here, we have a right to take control, and demand that you change the way you govern your church. And we're going to tell you how that should be. What could the modernists want more if they want to conform the church to the modern world? What more perfect way to say, okay, civil authorities, come in here and remake the church for us. You know, And They will be glad to do so, too. They've given them the pretext for doing it right here in the document of Vatican II. So not only have they given the foundation for the principle of the whole Pro-to- pro-choice position, they've actually pr- provided a platform for the civil authority now, from the, one of the very documents of Vatican II to say, we have to enforce jo- uh, real public order here. What, is, what does he call it here? Provided the just public order be observed, okay. It follows that no one is to be act- forced to act in a matter contrary to his conscience, Nor, on the other hand, is one to be restrained from acting in accordance with his conscience. That's what it says. It says this is from God, too. So, actually, this is an endorsement of blasphemy. This actually says that God has given us a right to teach lies about him, because I believe them. Now, they may say, well, you believe them, so it's not really a blasphemy. You're not guilty of it, right? But God knows the truth. How can God give a right to someone to tell what God knows is a lie about himself? That's the very definition of blasphemy. And I have not only the right to profess that, I have the right to try to convince others of the truth of what I'm saying, even though it is a blasphemy. That's what Vatican II says. So Vatican II has endorsed all the false religions of the world. At the same time, setting the Catholic Church up, or what they what people consider the Catholic Church, to be made like the great the great harlot. That's it. I mean, this is what the Protestants can use, accuse the Catholic Church of being. This is what the modernists have made it. But it's the modernists, it's not Catholics. It's modernism, it's not Catholicism. We have to be absolutely certain about that. And we can't let that go. Uh, Otherwise, people are going to be, this will be the great apostasy. Look what it says here, again. Provided just public order is observed. Provided the just demands of public order are observed. Quote, 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 over and over again in this document. If I were a Josh Shapiro in Pennsylvania, or I were any one of these other DAs in one of the other states, I'd be looking at that document saying, hey look, you all voted for for this, you know, this is what you canonize, this is your doctrine here. So um, not only can we come in and we're going to impose Uh, just order now on your church because you can't do it, and Francis isn't about to do it, right? And your cardinals and bishops, they're not about to do it. We're the ones who have to do it. And so the question arises, can we coerce you to act contrary to your conscience, as they're trying to do in Pennsylvania, or in Australia right now? confession, the secret confession. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. No wonder they keep trying this, right? And they don't have a leg to stand on. Uh, to accept to say, well, we just, you know, just, just Catholics, you can't do that. You can't force us to do that. This, uh, this sexual abuse problem, that's, that's the reason why they're saying we've got to step in and, and demand right. that we do it. Right. So it's a very sordid mess. And just I, I just come back to a time, modernism is a problem through which all of these other evils have entered. St. Pius X saw it well over 100 years ago. He saw what's happening today. Even though he died in 1914, he saw it all, and that's maybe well, that's what killed him, <laughs> you know, <laughs> to see that. But you know, we have to face it now because we're staring it right into the jaws of this monster of modernism. People have to reject modernism if they are going to do what is right and go back to practicing the traditional faith. Um, but I wouldn't be a bit surprised. But this is exactly what the modernists are thinking. We want to change the church into a worldly institution entirely. And what better way to do it than to do it like this?
1: And, Father, it's so sad to see how many, how many good people are, are being duped by this. Um, you know, there, there's, there's so many now that are saying, you know, the church should open her doors, let the civil authorities come in and, and yeah. sort, out, sort out this matter. And they're playing right into the hands of the modernists. It's exactly what mm-hmm. they want, like you just said here. But this whole idea... In this uh, document on religious liberty um, it's it's nothing more than than the temptation of the serpent mm-hmm. in the garden it's yeah. the same thing you shall be as gods. it's the exact same thing and I think that um,
0: you're so right about that that,
1: uh, that mentality it perfectly describes it perfectly illustrates why the Novus Ordo even though there may be a few good good people mixed in here and there it, they're mm-hmm. so ineffective they're mm-hmm. so incapable of accomplishing the slightest good because even though Yes. You know, occasionally some novus priest will give some, some great sounding sermon or, or they'll yeah. have some very forceful words about abortion is so bad, it's so wrong, or or this crisis, it's such a travesty, it's so terrible, and, and all this will use very strong language, but at the same time, their entire premises the individual has the right, you know, the, the
0: dignity of, of the human person
1: here. And the I, modernists
0: are the church. And they have the right to tell me what I can and can't do. And they have, so they can control my practice of the faith, mm-hmm. the modernists. They follow
1: this this uh, whole Francis idea to a T, who am I to judge? Mm-hmm. You know, like you mentioned in, in the, the program, the, the modernism <coughs> program of uh, of the, the nun, the one sister who wanted to, to go to confession and, mm-hmm. and confess this great crime to this priest. You know, he, he refused to pass judgment. On her, and that's that's the Novus Ordo in a nutshell, right there. They might get up in the pulpit <clears throat> and say, "This is terrible. This is bad. Can't can do a, abortion. It's a sin. This homosexuality. All this is crazy. This pedophilia. Everything. It's so bad." But who am I to judge? I'm <clears throat> not going to pass judgment, and right. so nothing happens.
0: They, it, it's well, something sin- does It's an, essentially an, an endorsement, evil. an endorsement of the evil that God is condemned, but they will not. Right. So Francis says, "I cannot pass judgment, but God has already judged this." Yeah. And. Um, you know, you know Tom, you're right. This is exactly the primordial evil there. What are the first words in Latin of this document? Dignitatis Humanae, of human dignity. This is 1965 here in the Vatican II Church, okay? 1965 of human dignity. Now, the French revolutionaries, their battle it was all about human dignity, okay? Bolsheviks, they all talk about they all talk about human dignity. And they, they cite human dignity as their authority against God, that the, the demands of the of conscience are sacred and God even has no right. This is what liberalism is all about. This is the very nature of liberalism. Yeah. human dignity against, against God's dignity. you know man has a right to defy God. And uh, you know you see where this whole idea of human dignity goes and what they make of it, see? But this, this is that—that uh, that is that t- temptation of Satan in the Garden long ago. Human dignity, you know, separate yourself, stand up for yourself, be your own God. Uh, you have it within you, right? You have the right to it, right? No one, including God, can tell you not to do this, right? So um, it is—it is, it is very evil. This is the fundamental premise of modernism, and we see what it has done. And again, people have to face the fact that these seminaries and convents were being corrupted in 1966, and 1965, and 1964. And this has been going on all this time. It's just exploding now because now these people are bishops and cardinals. That's why it's exploding. They've worked themselves up through the ranks now, and they're getting into those positions. Now this is where it's getting... um, It's it's just becoming... uh, you know, endemic, and it's... and it's it's. It, there's no way to contain this, you know. It's, it, it's out of the box, so, so to speak, you know. <laughs> they could hush it up for so long. But as I say, now they, it's, it's not as though they really even want to stifle it. Why? Well, because um, they want to be seen as the champion of homosexuality. They will not say anything. Francis even made a mistake, you know, on that, on that flight from Dublin to Rome in August, what was it, August 26th, when he 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 said, I will not say one word about this. He also made a mistake when he was asked about the homosexual crisis, and he talks about what about parents who have children growing up and say they're they're kind of homosexual. He says, well, there are ways we can help them, we can talk about this, we can talk about this. And, you know, it's basically discernment, discernment. But he even talks about psychiatric help. Oh, boy. Mm Oh, boy, they were quick to jump all over that. You know, they, the Vatican withdrew that word. They took the word right out of that statement. Right. They apologized for that. You don't dare say something about this evil. But why? <clears throat> it's because of modernism. Uh, it's because even those who are not homosexuals are still modernists. And they're still making the whole, this whole thing into a into devil, devil's playground. That they're doing the seminaries, the contents, so on and so forth. So um, people have to have to face the fact otherwise they are part of the, the they're all aiding and abetting the evil. They're all crying, they're all crying with everyone else, crucify him, crucify him. They're all crying that even the conservatives, even the conservatives going to the 1962 Latin Mass within the Ordo, They might as well be in the crowd yelling with the rest of them, crucify him, crucify him. Because they're all saying, oh, this is the Church, this is the Church. Look at what has become of the Church. It's sickening to go online and seeing what some of these people are saying, you know. Oh, the Church has fallen so far, she's so wicked now. Uh, We have to find a way to redeem her and to purify her, the Church, the Church. You know, even some people will will go to uh, the book of the Apocalypse. And they'll go to chapter 2, and they'll look at uh, what the angels are saying to the Churches. Now you know the fathers of the church tell us that the different churches, the seven different churches, are represent the history of the Catholic Church throughout time. And uh, they'll say, "Well, look, you know, here the angel spoke to the church of Sardis, the church of uh, uh, Philadelphia, and so on and so forth, Laodicea, and so on." And we'll say, well, "But find fault with it. Find fault with it. well, with this." This I have against you, or this I have against you. There's even one that talks about that you're oppressed by those who are say they are say they are Christ, say they are of Christ, but they're the synagogue of Satan. Remember that? It's in there. Apocalypse chapter two. It's all in there. They say that they are of Christ, but they are actually of the synagogue of Satan. But even there the distinction is made between what is really Catholic and what is not, what pretends to be, but really isn't. You know, and others might look and say, well, look, even in the other ones that, you know, God found fault with the church in various places. Yeah, she found weaknesses. I mean, the the, uh, apocalypse and the word of God spoken there finds weaknesses in the church at various times. But that's very different from what you find here. You find this is just corrupt to its very core. That's not an argument for what we're witnessing here. But if you go and you look down the list of those and you find that they say they are of Christ, but they're actually of the synagogue of Satan, now you realize that Christ himself is saying, make that distinction. And I wouldn't be surprised, but he's referring to this this moment. Make that distinction between what is the synagogue of Satan and what is not the Catholic Church, the modernists, as opposed to those who are still faithful and remain Catholic.
1: Father, perhaps it would be uh, beneficial at some point to do a show talking about uh, Saint Robert Ballarin's definition of of what the Church actually is. I know you have a uh, an excerpt from him that you frequently refer to. So perhaps that. You would, know, I should. So
0: there, there are also other shows we've done. Where we talk about what it is to be a traditional Catholic,
1: mm-hmm.
0: and uh, I think people who haven't seen those should go back and they should look at them. Mm-hmm. It would answer a lot of their questions. By the way, you know, um, even. Uh, you're familiar with with uh, Cardinal Genswein, Genswein, right? He was uh, a confidant of uh, Benedict, now of Francis, right? Very interesting. Put it here. Pope Benedict's top aide broaches the abuse crisis, quotes Cardinal's apoc- apocalyptic critique of Francis. I mean, he's even saying here, and they're they're even quoting uh, this uh, Cardinal Willem Jacobus I <coughs> from Utrecht in the Netherlands is quoting from their own the, the Catholic catechism, the, the, the new catechism the with, and is applying the words of their catechism to the, referring to the final trial which will shake the faith of many, but which the church has to endure before the return of Christ quote unquote mm-hmm. in their new catechism and he's saying that may be Francis. Francis might be that last great trial. Are they naming him? No, but they're saying they're talking about this problem, and the problem of Bigano's accusations against Francis brought up that comment. And maybe this is the last great trial, of the Church that we read in our catechism. But you know something interesting. If you go back to Second Corinthians, uh, chapter two, right? Um, he talks about. Um, the great apostasy, which evidently this is supposed to refer to, Mm -hmm. he says this will be a prelude to the coming of the Antichrist. They don't mention that here. They say this is what will happen before the coming of Christ. (laughs) But the actual prophecy in St. Paul is that the great apostasy will be the prelude to the coming of the Antichrist, Mm -hmm. the man of sin. I I found that very curious, that they would make this reference. But Genswein, Says He also noted, according to this article, which appears in LifeSite News, so much of the good stuff is coming from there. And this is a quote from him. The church who had been rooted among the people into which we have been born, and which never existed in such, such as in America, as it existed in Europe, that church has long died in this process of darkening. I mean, he's speaking in apocalyptic terms here. And if you talk about the process of darkening, what's he talking about? He's talking about Vatican II. If he's talking about the history of this sexual abuse crisis, he's talking about the years of Vatican II, because it exactly coincides with the years of Vatican II. He even asks, does this sound too dramatic to you? He goes on and he, he even refers to Benedict, the light of the Christian civilization is being extinguished everywhere in the West. These are words of Benedict. But he was, a, he was a big part of that, right? And uh, you know that Ganswein, speaking recently, uh, likened what was going on in the, in the church, again, I say it's the modernist church, to 9-11. He says this is like 9-11 in the church. And remember, now remember, uh, Ratzinger, Benedict XVI, said that Vatican II was the French Revolution in the church. Now Ganswein... A great representative of the Novus Ordo, of course, under Benedict and Francis, is saying that the sexual abuse crisis, crisis is like 9-11 in the Church, right? This disaster. <laughs> and, um, you know, again, going to get back to even what out of their own mouths, it condemns uh, modernism, Vatican II, and uh, the whole Novus Ordo, right, for, right from the beginning, stands condemned now. I just wish um, people would uh, be willing to face reality and uh, acknowledge it for what it really is. Sure. These, this Council of Cardinals that Francis has, has joined to him, right? Baladiaga and O'Malley and the rest of them, you know? So many of them already are implicated. No wonder the headlines are now reading, they pledge full solidarity with Francis. But they've been pledging full solidarity with Francis all this time. That's why they this That's why they're in this trouble, right? Mm-hmm. And uh, Francis pledges full solidarity with them right. too, in the evils that they've done. But they're going to stick together and they're going to take, uh, they're going to take it down, and they're going to rejoice at doing it. Hey, you know, you know I'm sorry for going on about this, but look what we've been witnessing all this time, as the seminaries have been emptying emptying, right? The convents have been emptying. All these terrible things have been going on. The church has been declining. Even Benedict acknowledged that. They have been rejoicing. They said, yes, this is… Vatican II is the most wonderful thing to ever happen. And Francis recently came out and said, you know, we've got to do away with this clericalism and let the lay people take over. Basically he's saying that, let the lay people take over. He wants to fundamentally replace the, the Catholic Church with his own modernist religion. Let the lay people over. He's rejoicing at this. The former bishop of this diocese Cincinnati, this archdiocese, was, when I first arrived here back in the mid-80s, fomenting this program of his called the For the Harvest Program. Now, I'm talking about you know almost 40 years ago now. And... Um, he was saying, we don't have the vocations we need for the priesthood. And so, that's the downside. But he said, the upside is that the laity now have to come and fill in their place. This is what the modernists want, you know. They, they supposedly lament the lack of vocations, but they rejoice that now the laities can take over these positions. Francis just recently was essentially saying the same thing, that the hour of the laity has been stuck and we haven't been able to move forward. But now that we can denounce the clericalism responsible for this abuse and and do away with this clericalism, it's the priesthood.
1: Sounds like a good priesthood. It's the priesthood.
0: It's exactly what they want. Don't let them fool you. They're not lamenting this. They're rejoicing about this. This is what they were driving toward all this time. They want to drag the church's name down so low that mankind rejects the church as she was, as she really should be, as she is. And um, <coughs> that they, they, they come up with this, this, this modern and, and monstrous construct of the, the, the full-blown modernist church, totally the religion of the world, uh, totally the one-world religion. They want to bury the Catholic church, is what they want to do. And they want to bury the Catholic faith and the Catholic religion with it. We can't let them do that. Not if we love our Lord, and they're faithful to him. <laughs> so anyway, I think we, we really need to face it. Now, I don't know if anybody else is saying this. I mean, there might be others out there who are actually saying this. But I don't hear them. But I hear over and over again, as the Catholic Church has done these terrible things, and it's a homosexual crisis, and blah, 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 get Francis to resign, and so on and so forth, and they haven't a clue, it seems to me, for what it's worth. It, they haven't a clue. They're not willing to face the reality that the Novus Ordo itself is rotten to the core in its very principles, and it has to be abandoned. We have to get back to practicing practicing the true faith. That's, I'll say it again and again, you know, <laughs> and, uh, but maybe that's the last time I'll say it tonight. <laughs> Sounds good. Um, by the way, excuse me, that's okay. Francis has come out to say that this is the devil's work.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: But what, what does he say is the devil's work? Not that the bishops have done these things, not that accused. the clergy have done, but that they're being accused of these things. Mm-hmm. That's what he says. Yeah. He says the devil is the great accuser, the great satan, right? The great adversary or accuser. And it's what the devil does, is he accuses, accuses. So who's the bad guy? The accusers, mm-hmm. right? This mm-hmm. is really bad. <laughs> this, is, this is just diabolically evil. But that's what Francis is saying here. Pope Francis at Mass, this is at the Casa Santa Marta, says during one of his homilies, bishops must pray to overcome the great accuser. I think his name is Viganò, <laughs> Carlo Maria Viganò. He's the great accuser, right? Yes. This is the work of Satan, mm-hmm. to accuse the bishops of these evil things. Not that they have done these evil things, but to say that they have done these evil things. That's the evil and uh, I'm afraid that so many members of Francis' new modernist religion will actually fall right in line behind him and say, yes, this is the problem, <clears throat> that people are accusing them of doing these things. Um, I just hope that there are many of them who will not be deceived by this.
1: Father, we have some... Uh, go ahead.
0: I I know this is all very negative, but unfortunately all the news is negative. All the news is negative. (laughs) But, uh, you know, what I'm saying, the positive is that there are many people Mm -hmm. who have not fallen into this net. They've not fallen into the net and the snare of modernism. Mm -hmm. And they are trying to be faithful to our Lord. I can't help but think that's why our Lord is still sparing us. There's a reason why... um, God has not struck; you know, that His arm has not fallen. I mean, we still can wake up in the morning and look forward to a day, and and I mean, how no who knows how close we are, you know? But we know how much we deserve uh, God's punishment. But you know, there must be those in the world who are who are being faithful to our Lord at great cost. Okay. Mm-hmm. And I, I can't help but believe that those who are following the traditional Catholic faith are among them, right? Uh, the, the the day-to-day traditional Catholics. There are others who are suffering for our Lord. Great things, you know, also. But it is no mean thing for a person to practice the traditional Catholic faith and be faithful to Christ in the world today. That's a great thing, with all of the pressures we've got. You know, uh, Jeremiah Denton returned from six and a half years of captivity with the communist Viet Cong being tortured every day. But when he got back to the States, he said the pressures being brought to bear on the young people of America are worse than anything he had to endure as a prisoner of the Viet Cong and the tortures they inflicted on him. The pressures, the social pressures on our young people. They were talking about the aftermath, like the late 1960s. But he said that, right? So, I mean, to maintain your faith and your fidelity to Christ today, that is a wonderful thing. That is a great thing. That's, that's all we're asking others. We're asking everyone to do that. Um, so, I, I just um, wanted to bring up a positive note, that there are great souls in the world still who love our Lord very much. And there might still be some who are actually imprisoned in the Novus Ordo. Uh, But they're prisoners of their own minds, in the sense that the Novus Ordo has imprisoned them by uh, false principles. And as soon as they see the clear, as soon as they see the clear way and resolve the dilemmas in their minds that the Novus Ordo has put there, the dilemmas that the Novus Ordo has put there to keep them confined, they'll be right out of the Novus Ordo and back to the traditional faith in no time. And they'll be asking themselves, why didn't I see this before? Why didn't I understand this before?
1: Mm-hmm.
0: How did I let them deceive me all this time? The graces are there.
1: Well, Father, another uh, positive note to end on. There is some good news. This is the uh, the month of September. We have a lot of beautiful feast days of Our Lady mm-hmm. during this month. We just recently celebrated the feast day of the Nativity of the Blessed Virgin <laughs> Mary. We have the feast of the Holy Name of Mary mm-hmm. coming up as well as the, uh, the, the Sorrowful Mother feast day. Father, do you think that our Blessed Mother will save us from this mess?
0: <clears throat> well, uh, you have to remember. You remember what I was talking about, uh, the Church having to relive the life of Christ,
1: mm-hmm.
0: involving his triumphs but also his sufferings, right? Well, this involves the Church also going through the Passion of Christ, being unjustly accused of crimes, that she's not the criminal she's the victim of, right? Right as our Lord himself was unjustly accused that she will be charged and she will be found guilty and she will be condemned and she will be tortured the church must undergo this as our Lord himself did we're going to witness this and so we must not be surprised to find a great apostasy as everyone abandoned our Lord right? the apostles themselves St. John came out of the shadows at one point but to stand with our blessed mother and Mary Magdalene and a very small, small company, right, <clears throat> were there on Calvary. So, I mean, what could be more emblematic of the great apostasy than that moment, you know? So we're going to—I am mean, not know that we're, we're living, and we're going to live to see that moment. But I do think we're living through this time when our Lord is being accused by his enemies and being— um, You know, attacked from every side and going to be charged and going to be set upon and uh, going to be persecuted, tortured and ultimately you know what happened to our Lord and the church having to mirror that in her own existence will appear to be dead. You know, our Lord himself asked, when the son of man returns to earth to judge, do you think he will find faith on earth? I mean, the, the rhetorical question begs the answer no. And so I think this is a clear indication that the church is going to be underground again. And the world will consider that it has buried the church, because the church will be, will be underground. It's the only place it will be possible. You, can't, you will not be publicly able to profess uh, your faith in Christ, um, the true faith in Christ. So the church will essentially be buried, but, and the world will even consider it to be dead, and will rejoice over that, Remember what our Lord told the Apostles? You will be sorrowful. You will be terribly sorrowful by the events to come, but the world will rejoice. But your sorrow will be turned into joy. And the world ultimately will be in mourning. when They see Christ risen and glorified. And so, if the Church is as I'm sure it is, because this is the tradition of the Church, we've been told, is going to have to relive the life of Christ, then we're going to have to find in the Creed was crucified, died, and was buried. But on the third day, the Church will rise. The Church will rise because of the divine power within her that they cannot kill, right? And they cannot prevent that resurrection of the Church any more than they could prevent the resurrection of our Lord. No matter how big a guard they posted that tomb, they're not going to stop the resurrection. Mm -hmm. So I think we have to face the fact that this is the future. Now, when it's going to arrive, I don't know. I tend to think that because of the situation going on today, we're very much into that part where the Church is standing possibly even before the Sanhedrin, possibly even before Pilate, possibly on the verge of that. Am I being melodramatic? St. Pius X, in his first encyclical, said that he was terrified to become the Pope in 1903 because he thought we were in the very moment, or about to be, on the very threshold of that moment of the Antichrist coming into the world, he referred to the prophecies of, you know, St. Paul of Thessalonians, chapter 2. He referred to that, the great apostasy. That's what he himself said. So I don't think we're being melodramatic any more than he was. So uh, I think the, the point that you make about the Blessed Mother, because our Blessed Mother... <clears throat> was able to accompany our Lord even to the cross. And even though she was not allowed to put out her hand to help him, I mean, it wasn't she who wiped the blood off the face of our Lord. It was Veronica. It wasn't she who helped our Lord carry the cross. It was Simon. Um, it, wasn't, it wasn't she who was able to reach out and, and just do anything for him. This was part of her crucifixion, as a crucifixion of her mother's love for him, that all she could do is endure with him, and she could provide no relief for him. But nonetheless, you know that our Blessed Mother's presence there was the greatest consolation to our Lord, because of her absolute fidelity, her sinlessness, This was the the product of his suffering that he was going through. So, even though in the Garden of Gethsemane he saw all of these millions of souls that were condemned to hell because they rejected what he was suffering for them. I mean, always before him, standing underneath the cross, he had the vision, he he had the sight of this Blessed Mother. This faithful soul, in realizing that her fidelity was his work, the work of his suffering, No matter who else was faithful or not, there she was, right? This was certainly a a tremendous consolation and comfort to our Lord, to see her there, right? And one of his last acts in mortal life was to provide for her, you know, with St. John. So I, I can't help but think that in what the Church is going to be facing now, the Blessed Mother is going to be able to play a very important role. Uh, that she is going to be with the church step by step on the way to Calvary. And she is going to be there even when the church undergoes a kind of crucifixion. But the Blessed Mother is going to be accompanying it. And she is going to be a source of tremendous strength and uh, tremendous comfort and great consolation to the faithful at that time. So uh, it's not as though that she's going to be able to prevent this any more than she was able to prevent our Lord's crucifixion. She never would think of trying to do it. But she's the one with the wedding feast of Cana asked him to begin the road to Calvary, right? Right. Because she knew it was God's will. Even though she knew her own heart would be pierced there. She Mm -hmm. She was the handmaid of the Lord, always. At the Annunciation, at the crucifixion, at the resurrection, she was always the handmaid of our Lord. So she will be here with the Church. Uh, but yes, I, I do believe our Blessed Lady, uh, through all of the, the, the times of the modernists and all the rest uh, of the enemies of the Church, that she will be walking with the Church step by step through all the, its trials and tribulations. That's
1: very beautiful, Father. Yeah. Your sorrow shall be turned to joy. Father, thank you for being here tonight.
0: Oh, you're welcome, Tom, thank you. You know, you mentioned uh, the Feast of the Birthday of Erlie, September 8th. Holy mm-hmm. Name of Mary, September 12th, tomorrow. Mm-hmm. The Sorrows of Our Lady, Seven Sorrows uh, on the 15th. Mm-hmm. But the 24th, we have Our Lady of Ransom, which was about rescuing Catholics from the clutches of modernist enslavers, slave drivers, right? September 24th, the Feast of Our Lady of Ransom. You have October 7th, the Feast of Our Lady of the Rosary, mm-hmm. which is a celebration of the Battle of Lepanto and the victory there, right? And you have the Feast of October 11th the Feast of the Maternity of Our Blessed Lady, which is the foundation of her vocation, which is the source of all the privileges that she had. So you have within this vaguely month's time, the span of a month, the, all of these tremendous beautiful feast days of Our Blessed Mother. And, um, I don't know what the Novus Ordo has done with to all of those, you know, but uh, now they've adulterated them and just sapped them of their spiritual significance. <clears throat> but in traditional Catholic Catholicism, you will find Our Lady meeting you day by day throughout the year in these liturgical celebrations, these feast days at the altar, you'll find her there. And as a traditional Catholic, I'm, I'm so grateful to our Lord for providing that, that blessed presence of our Lady throughout throughout our year. I, you know, encountering her at the altar on these feast days is so beautiful. So Uh, It's something that I wish for everybody. I wish they would come back to that.
1: Sounds good. Thank you, Father.
0: Certainly do. God bless you.
1: Thanks to all of our viewers as well for watching this episode of What Catholics Believe.
0: Until next time,
1: we ask that you all remember the words of Our Lady of Fatima to consecrate yourselves and your families to the Immaculate Heart of Mary and to pray and do penance. Thank you, and God bless you.